This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. I always love uh, when the passing of the peace goes a little long. Not too long. Don't take this as like a freedom to go nuts. But I do like that you guys like talking to each other. That's a good sign, you know. I'm glad it's not all silent and everybody's waiting for the passing of the peace to end. We're continuing our sermon series uh, in Luke, and a question I wanted to start with today, or just an acknowledgement, uh, is that we're all afraid, right? Uh, Like, we all just have a lot of fear bubbling underneath the surface. We try to mask it in lots of different ways, um, but it's there. And I think that this is evident in not only all the studies that continue to show uh, that anxiety and depression are uh, only increasing, uh, especially uh, in our culture and in our place and time, Uh, And we have fear that motivates those. Some of that fear uh, is based on legitimate dangers. Um, Some of these are biological factors uh, that kind of cause us fear for unknown reasons. Uh, And sometimes there are fears of irrational things, and we know it, and we still can't control our fears. Our fears seem to control us. And I think... One thing that Christians tend to do uh, as we struggle with fear is we've got these kind of phrases that we like to throw around. I don't know if you've heard any of these. Uh, The Lord is on the throne. This is just a season. This too shall pass. The Lord is with you in the storm. You guys have heard some of these phrases? Uh, And these are right and true phrases. And especially that last one is going to come from our passage today. The Lord is with you in the storm. It's where Jesus and his disciples are on a boat crossing a lake and they're overtaken by a storm and the disciples are afraid and they cry out. Uh, And they find that God is with them in the storm. And so we've kind of shortened that to say that God is with you in your storm. But phrases like this become cliches real quick, don't they? Here's a definition of what a cliche is. A phrase or opinion that is overused and betrays lack of original thought. (laughs) It isn't so much that it's untrue. It's just that it's overused. It's become meaningless. We've lost what some of its meaning should have been. Now, this story is in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is true, that it has something to teach us about how to handle our fears. We think that uh, this passage today has something to teach us about our fears. And what I hope today is that we'll help undo some of the cliché-ness of the Lord being with you in the storm. That we can reflect on those aspects um, in this story that help us to handle our fears. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? This ends the reading of God's word. And it is good to help us with our fears. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. 
So when we're looking for rest from our fears, when we're looking how to address our fears, when we're looking how to handle or uh, tackle head-on these, these fears that we have in our lives, we're going to see um, that we need to rest in God. We need to rest in God's sovereignty, we need to rest in His goodness, and we need to rest in His presence. So those are going to be our uh, three points today. So first we're going to start with God's sovereignty. Now sovereignty is one of those Bible words that's uh, a little bit like hard to grasp. Like I, I don't know about you, but it's, it felt like it was thrown around a lot, you know. Uh, God is sovereign, and we try to describe it in different ways. And I think part of the reason that it's hard to understand uh, from uh, like the B Bible and Christian perspective uh, is that we don't use the word often in just kind of like day-to-day -day language. And so I was trying to think of ways that we use the word in day-to-day -day language. And it came to me as like, well, we tend to use it in uh, relation to nation states, right? That has its own sovereignty, acting independently without, without outside interference. But if sovereignty can be infringed upon, it's not really sovereignty anymore, is it? Not only says something about the aggressors that would infringe upon another nation state's sovereignty, we would say, but it also says something about the nature of sovereignty itself. As we tend to think of it, sovereignty is not as sovereign as we would like it to be. As another example, instead of just nation states, um, I am the oldest of f five siblings, uh, so that I've got three younger brothers and then the youngest is a sister. Uh, and in my family, for a large portion of my childhood, uh, I had a relative amount of sovereignty over my siblings. Uh, there was a lot of things that I can inflict because uh, I was bigger. Uh, and so it was my way. Now, that only changed until someone could encroach upon my sovereignty, and that would be my next youngest brother, who uh, was shorter than I was, but also stockier and played football. So by the time he was a freshman in high school and I was a senior in high school, uh, there was one fateful day where he was able to pin his older brother in a wrestling match, and then political negotiations forever changed between me and him. <laughs> God's sovereignty is less like this kind of sovereignty. The sovereign queen of England may exercise some sort of sovereignty over her nation, but will never have sovereignty over everything, including the wind and the waves. Jesus was sovereign over the wind and the waves. He commanded, and it was so. It astonished his disciples because although they may have thought of Jesus as some political ruler with some measure of sovereignty over a kingdom that he would be bringing in, they never once imagined that he would have such sovereignty that he would be able to control the wind and the waves. There's only one being with that kind of sovereignty, and it's God. Something I want us to pay attention to in relation to our fears, though, in relation to God's sovereignty in relation to our fears. Um, in verse 23, it says that they were in real danger. Uh, not just that they thought that they were in danger. See, I think sometimes we read these stories and we see Jesus' response um, and we hear him ask, like, where is your faith? And we tend to think like, oh, they should have known that they weren't actually in any danger. But like the Bible is also not shy about saying they were actually in danger. Like, it wasn't just like their boat was like, had a little bit of water in it, and everybody's like, dude, you would have been fine. Why are you freaking out? It was like, no, they were actually in danger. And in the midst of that danger, they cried out to the one with all of the power. All of the power. First thing that we need to learn from the disciples in this story is that Jesus is absolutely sovereign. 
He's sovereign over our very real dangers. These very things that threaten to take our life, he is sovereign over those. And that should cause us to cry out to him. What fears are you facing? What fears cause you to lay awake at night? Is it uh, political, military uh, disruptions like Ukraine? Is it the stock market? Is it your children that have graduated and are gone? Is it it your marriage that you're afraid of revealing uh, your true self to this one person that you've committed your life to because it might ruin everything? What about your job, that investor's meeting? Your own pride in your body image or your body type or those extra pounds that need shaving? What about the conflict with friends and family members? the ones who are facing long drawn out illnesses, the one who have lost life and limb, do these things cause you fear? Do they keep you awake at night, churning over all of the different options, all of the things that might go wrong, all of the things that might be lost? When the disciples were afraid, they called out to the one who was sovereign, and Jesus is sovereign. And I don't mean just sort of sovereign, I mean completely sovereign. I mean able to hush hurricanes. I mean, able to stop earthquakes and volcanoes. I mean, curing cancer and raising the dead back to life. Jesus is sovereign 100% and completely. And I don't want you to miss either. As we've been building up in Luke, you get to see Jesus' sovereignty time and time again. You get to see it over uh, a skin disease. You get to see it over uh, uh, that, that slave that was at the point of death and that he brought back to life. You get to see it on the paralyzed man in the mat. Jesus is sovereign over everything, and this should cause us to run to him, to the one who is able, the one who is sovereign over all things, even the truly dangerous things. So the first thing we learn from this story is that when the waves of fear are crashing over you, the first thing to remember is to cry out to the one who is sovereign. But I've gotta be honest about this sovereignty. You see, Jesus isn't sovereign to command just the waves in the story to stop. Uh, He was also sovereign to send the disciples into the storm. Like, just think about this for a moment. Uh, The disciples, being sailors, they probably didn't know that the storm was coming, or else they would have said something, right? Uh, They probably would have been like, hey, Jesus, like, now's not the time. Let's just wait for this thing to pass, and then we'll go. Um, But Jesus knows that the storm is coming, being completely sovereign, commands it anyway, and in verse 22 it says, they went. Jesus sent them into the storm, sent them into danger. Is that unsettling to you? Because it's a little unsettling to me. Because when we're in those truly dangerous things in our life, those truly unsettling things that keep us awake at night worrying, it's not so much that we question God's sovereignty of sending us there. We question his goodness for putting us there. And this is our second point. It's not so much that we question God's sovereignty, but that he question his goodness. Some of you know that almost two years ago, uh, Margaret and I miscarried. We lost our child. And I know that this is not uh, unne- uh, necessarily an uncommon thing. But I also knew in that moment that God sovereignly put us there. And in that moment, I wasn't necessarily questioning God's sovereignty. I was questioning his goodness. Why would he let this happen? In all the longing, and all the waiting, and all the praying, why? 
You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell Jesus' life from slightly different perspectives, and they cover some of the same stories, and Mark covers the same story that we have here. And he adds a little detail. So in Luke, and in our passage here, in verse 24, uh, when they wake him, they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. But Mark adds this little detail, and he says, Do you not care that we are perishing? In the storms of your life, I wonder if you've called out to the sovereign God and said, I am perishing. Do you not care? Lord, our child perished. Do you not care? Lord, this illness will take me. Do you not care? It can feel a little bit like God's asleep on the boat, right? Like God's asleep when we're actually in danger, when we're perishing. Where's his goodness? Does he really care? Now, the answer to this and how we see his goodness in this passage can kind of come in two different ways. So if you'll stick with me. Uh, The first we can see is that Jesus didn't stay asleep. You know, he woke up when his disciples called. And I think this is really important for us to just pause and recognize. Because I think that a lot of times we think of God as like asleep and doesn't want to be bothered. You know, Uh, and I think of the beginning of The Lion King. uh, And Simba runs in and he's trying to wake up his parents and they have that discussion about like before sunrise, he's your son. You know what I'm talking about? Um, And it's like, he's like begrudging the fact that his son's waking him up and Simba has to be like, you promised. And sometimes we feel like we have to go to God and we have to be like, you promised you would do this. That's not what happens. The disciples cry out and Jesus wakes up. There's no compulsions upon promises. God doesn't need reminding of his promises. If anything, we're the ones that need reminding. But more so than just Jesus responding, I think we can also learn about God's goodness to us by following the disciples' trajectory. You see, what they needed um, was they didn't need necessarily their fears removed. They needed their fears reoriented. And here's what I mean. Excuse me one second. Something bothering me. Thank you. So here's what I mean uh, by the disciples needing their fears reoriented. Um, It says in verse 24 that they then feared God again, right? It's like Jesus was there. Um, They were afraid of the wind and the waves. They woke him up. Uh, He came in. They calmed the wind and the waves, and it says that they were afraid and that they marveled. When they were once afraid of the wind and the waves, they were now afraid of God himself. The disciples were fearfully awake when they could have been sleeping like Jesus um, because they were afraid of the wind and the waves when really they needed to be afraid of God. And actually, I think it says that they were afraid in verse 25. Sorry, I'm getting back into it now, taking a break. See, what happened was when they realized that Jesus uh, was really God and had the ability to uh, calm the wind and the waves, they realized that he is holy. And their question, although it was, who is this? Their question was more rhetorical. It's not so much who is this because they knew the only person that could calm the wind and the waves was God. Uh, The question really became, who are we to be in the presence of God? Their fear was a healthy fear. But you know, their fear of God uh, liberated them to see God's goodness over time. Now, in this passage, on this boat, the goodness of God that they saw when they cried out to the sovereign one, 
was that Jesus woke up and calmed the waves. But they would continue to learn more and more about the goodness of God. And in fact, part of the reason that they could not fear Jesus like they would fear the wind and the waves, because although the wind and the waves were their enemies, they knew that Jesus was their friend. Now their fear increases over time as we fast forward from this passage. As we get closer to the cross, you see the disciples kind of getting more and more anxious. Um, And it says even so that after Jesus died on the cross, it says that they were so afraid they locked themselves in a room. But you know when they met the resurrected Lord, they saw the goodness of the Lord on full display. Because they saw that not only uh, was Jesus to be feared, and not only was God to be feared for how severe he would punish sin, and not only were they to um, fear uh, the coming death that was going to happen because of their sin, but they could rejoice at the goodness of God that Jesus would pursue them even into death. That his friendship would not be stopped by their little and pathetic faith on the boat. That their friendship would not be stopped when they were afraid and betrayed his name. That their friendship would not be stopped by anything that they could do, but Jesus would continue to pursue them. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm afraid that some of you... uh, might leave this section thinking that if you've ever had sleepless nights because of anxiety or something else, uh, that you are necessarily sinning. Now, I, I tend to qualify this by thinking that we sin in most everything that we do is kind of my <laughs> uh, position. Uh, and so you probably were sinning in your sleepless nights, but you're also probably sinning in your sleep full nights too. So uh, we can just wrap that all together. But I don't want you to leave with uh, this abundant amount of shame over these sleepless nights because you would not be alone uh, if your hearts have been weighed down by heavy things. Uh, Jesus, too, had sleepless nights. And so if you'll remember, before he goes to the cross, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells his disciples, he's like, hey, stay awake and pray with me. And they can't do it. They fall asleep. But Jesus' heart is weighed down with something heavy. And he turns to the sovereign God and never once doubts his goodness. And I've mentioned this before, but like, think, think about this for a second. Jesus asks The the perfect son asks God, if there's any other way, I don't want to die this death. God doesn't answer it with any other way. And we can see that Jesus still in that moment trusted the goodness of God because he followed up that request with, yet not my will, but yours be done. In our sleepless nights, when we cry out to God for those things that we most desperately long for. The way that we reinforce the goodness of God to us is not only by reflecting upon how far he was willing to go to save us, and not only by thinking about all the good things that we've experienced from him in the past, but we remember it by calling out again, not my will, but your good will be done. His will is better than ours. It is truly good. And it is truly right. We, like Jesus, should run to God and never doubt his goodness. Jesus never doubts his goodness. He never even doubts it when he's on the cross and he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even then he wouldn't doubt 
God's goodness. And in that moment, we simultaneously should be more afraid and see more of God's goodness in Jesus on the cross because of God's severity against sin and also his goodness towards us. We look upon Jesus on the cross in fear and we say, who is this who can command the wind and the waves, who has never done anything wrong and yet would suffer such a death as that for me? How good is he to me? And I hope that in those sleepless nights when we question God's goodness for sending us into these places, that we'd be able to look on Jesus and look at God's faithfulness and we'd be able to see that he has always been good to us. That he calls us friends. That he is never far off in our time of need. When we face our fears, we not only need to rest in God's sovereignty, but also his goodness towards us. But there's something about, even though he may call us our, his friends, um, if your friends aren't close to you in time of need, um, in what way are they really friends? And I'll, I'll explain it this way. There's been a, a number of people who, when diagnosed with cancer, have told me that uh, their friends tended to stay away. Um, maybe a piece, like they would come close at first, but then over time there was this uh, maybe slight fear uh, that they might catch something, but also this just dawning kind of anxiety that they didn't know what to say. So they felt alone. If your friends aren't present with you, in what way are they really friends? And this is the last thing that we learn from this passage about facing our fears, is that we not only need to understand God's sovereignty and God's goodness, but we also need his presence. Joaquin has recently been asking more, that's my son, uh, if he's safe. So he's three years old. He said, Mommy, am I safe? So early Friday morning at about 3.30, Joaquin came bursting into our room, woke us up as he was afraid of the dark, and he said, Mommy, am I safe? And Margarita responded, Of course you are, Joaquin. And then Joaquin asked, is God with me? And Margaret responded, of course. God is always with you, even in the dark. But then Joaquin asked, will one of you stay with me? What three-year-olds instinctively understand, but which adults quickly forget, is not so much that we need our fears taken away or changed or removed we need the presence of the one who can keep us safe. We need to know that they're close. Now, the disciples in this moment could declare, who is this? Uh, and their question was rhetorical because they already knew the answer. The only ruler, the only one with the sovereign authority uh, to command the wind and the waves was God alone, and they had God with them. They had God's presence with them in their boat. They had the presence of the authority with the one to keep them safe so they could face their fears. But I gotta be honest, uh, it doesn't always feel like Jesus is in our boat with us, does it? I mean, if we could just wake him up and tell him our prayers and our requests and our fears, but he's not that close to us, it feels. He feels far distant. Our fears reign because we cannot see him. The disciples had very much the same fear when Jesus was about to leave them. So in John 16, the Gospel of John 16, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that he's about to leave. And he's about to go to some place where they cannot follow and they will see him no more. And they are sorrowful. And they say, what are we going to do? How are we going to face our fears when you're not here with us? 
And in John 16, Jesus said that he would send them a helper and that this helper would be God to them. And we learn a little bit later that this helper is called the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that all those who believe in his name will have this spirit and the spirit when they cry out to God will intercede with groanings too deep for words, Abba, Father, almost as if to say, Daddy, are they safe? Even on our deathbeds, even with the worst prognosis, even with the news of a newborn's medical condition, even with the loss of jobs with familial conflict in the darkest areas of our life and even the darkest three-year-old's rooms, the Holy Spirit is God with us. Jesus, at the end of this long passage through 16 and, uh, John chapter 16 and John chapter 17, uh, has this prayer, and he ends this prayer uh, with, with this phrase. He's praying to God the Father, I have made known to them your name, Father, Jesus is praying, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I with them. Jesus prayed in this prayer that he would never be separated from us. Jesus asked that he would always be the one with the authority to keep us safe, that he would always be the one present with us even to the end of the age, Jesus will say. And sometimes I think we look at that and it's serious things, things that concern death. We start to wonder, really? Is he really there too? But Jesus has been to death and back. His sovereign authority stands against every single one of our fears against all the political military powers, against all the heartbreak that we could imagine. His presence is with us even in the sleepless nights, and his presence is with us even beyond our last breath. Jesus has been to death. He's breathed his last. He's been even there, and it will not separate us from him. He said not even death will separate you from me. My supreme authority stands against everything in creation, the wind and the waves and even death itself. We must never let God's word become to us or be used as cliches, as something that's overused and watered down and diluted. But we all, must also never forget that God really is with us in whatever storm we face even if that storm leaves us in the bottom of the ocean. Believers, whatever your fears, know that the sovereign, good, and present God says this in Romans 8. It says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this was our assurance of pardon, if you were paying attention. For I am sure, says God's word, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because Jesus is God. Able to command the wind and the waves, able to command us into them in his goodness and his sovereignty, and able to stand with us even into death. He does not abandon his people. We are loved by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Jesus intended us not only to remember these words, um, proclaimed to us in a sermon, 
Uh, but he also wanted us to experience this reality of his promises to us, of his proximity to us, so close that we could taste it, that we could smell it, that we could feel the little powdery bread in our hands, that this is my body, this is my blood, I am for you. And so the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and having blessed it, he broke it and he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. If you rest in Jesus Christ's sovereignty, goodness, in presence, then this table is to confirm that presence for you yet again. If you're not sure about Jesus' sovereignty, his goodness, or his presence with you, if you think that he stands far off, has been silent, is asleep on the boat, I'd ask you to refrain from this part of our service. Continue to explore, see if that's true, if that's what he says about himself, and then Feel free to join us another time. In a moment, I will pray, and then we can come down uh, the center aisle, and we'll have these two serving stations on my right and my left. Uh, there's a gluten-free option of bread. Please notify your server if you need that. Uh, and then there's also red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us to see your invitation into your house this morning. Father, you have not left us and abandoned us. You sent us Jesus, your son. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of the promises. And he said, I'm coming back to make good on all of them. I will not leave you here alone, but behold, I am with you here until the end of the age. And I ask, Lord, that we might taste that this morning that these people might know it in their hearts, in their sleepless nights, that they might know it, and that even now, that you would allow these common elements to be put to spiritual use to nourish our faith. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.